Hi, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of The Progressive Bitcoiner. I'm your host, Trey Walsh, and today we have on the show John and Reina from Me Premier Bitcoin in El Salvador. John is the founder and executive director of Me Premier Bitcoin, and Reina is the vice director of adoption and relations at Me Premier Bitcoin. And Me Premier Bitcoin, my first Bitcoin, is built around a core concept that independent, impartial, community-led Bitcoin education will change the world. And that's exactly what they're doing and what we talked about in this episode. Bitcoin adoption in El Salvador, teaching and educating about Bitcoin to uh, youth and young adults, um, doing really, really great work to promote Bitcoin. And really, we talked about in this episode that Bitcoin is hope. You know, this isn't just about Bitcoin. It's about transforming lives and giving people uh, hope and real purpose and meaning in their life and something they can get excited about uh, and agency in their life. So really encourage you all to dig into this episode, share this episode, uh, learn more about Me Premier Bitcoin, uh, donate sats to them, get involved, reach out. I know they would love to to hear from you. And I want to thank John and Raina for coming on the show and having such a fun conversation and connecting with them. And we'll definitely continue to do more episodes about Me Premier Bitcoin uh, and similar organizations around the world, because that's really what we believe in through the Progressive Bitcoiner is highlighting these awesome stories of Bitcoin adoption for those that that need it most. Uh, and that's exactly what me, Premier Bitcoin is. So again, as always, if you have any feedback on this conversation, you can always reach out to me at hello at progressivebitcoiner.com. Be sure to check out our awesome sponsor links uh, from Bitbox and SAS Mining in the show notes to take advantage of those. And again, through our Substack that I've mentioned here before, you can get our free weekly newsletter by going to progressivebitcoiner.substack.com. All right, I will let you all get to the episode now and we will see you again next week. Hello, John. Hello, Reina. How are you? Hello. Good morning. I'm good. Welcome, Me Premier Bitcoin, to the Progressive Bitcoiner podcast. So excited to have this conversation um, and to have you both on the podcast and talking about Me Premier Bitcoin, Bitcoin in El Salvador, all these really great things. Um, and, and so a lot of people listening will know maybe who you are, know about Me Premier Bitcoin, but uh, a lot won't as well. So why don't we start off with uh, introductions? Reina, why don't, why don't we start with you? Yes, of course. Hi, good morning. Thank you for having us. Uh, well, my name is Reina and I work as a teacher lead and also part of the board of directors of Me Premier Bitcoin El Salvador. As many of you well, probably, like you said, they haven't heard about us. We're based in El Salvador. We are a nonprofit organization that is based on, uh, you know, the main objective is to teach Bitcoin and educate people about Bitcoin independently, impartial. And so far, it's been for free. And I, well, I joined the team. The, the organization started in late 2021, right after the law came into effect. Uh, John, our founder from the States, moved to El Salvador. We probably met a year after, and then I started working full-time for Mipium Bitcoin last year. Do you want to add anything else? <laughs> John, we'll, John, we'll kick it over to you. Who are you and what are you doing here? I'm just kidding. How's it going, John? <laughs> I'm just kidding, but no, really. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so my name is John. Uh, I'm, I'm originally from New York. Uh, I came here in 2021, shortly before Bitcoin became legal tender here to found Me Premier Bitcoin, which is a Bitcoin education nonprofit. Um, we believe that independent, impartial, community-led Bitcoin education 
will change the world. We also believe that El Salvador being the first country in the world to adopt Bitcoin as legal tender will be an example. And the foundation of ensuring that that will be a positive example is education. So mm. we're just super dedicated to that. Yeah. And as I was saying to you both right before we jumped into this recording, there's a million different things we can we can talk about. I mean, from our platform, I was I was saying one of one of my hopes for the progressive Bitcoiner in this platform is that we're reaching an audience that may have heard different things about Bitcoin. They may think they know what Bitcoin is, that Bitcoin is just for crypto bros or gambling, or as uh, you know, our favorite Senator Elizabeth Warren says, it's just for criminals, it's you know, terrible for the environment, all these things. So a huge part of our focus is just indirectly tackling that FUD by just telling good stories, telling good stories of what Bitcoin it actually is, what it's actually doing in places, getting outside, especially, you know, a lar- our listeners are diversifying more and more, but a large amount of our listeners are in, in the West, in the US, throughout Europe, getting out of that headspace of being in the States and into the headspace of what can Bitcoin do in places like El Salvador. So, you know, John, maybe I'll start with you. You'd mentioned, you know, you're from New York. You find yourself in El Salvador and like you said, starting and founding me Premier Bitcoin with a whole, um, you know, huge team of people with you. So what was the um, reason for, for doing that? What made you want to go down this rabbit hole of, of, you know, yes, of Bitcoin, but of me Premier Bitcoin? Yeah, well, a few things. Um, I'll try to keep this short. This could be one of those like very long answers. I think the world is broken and I think that that is more obvious every year. Um, for me, the pandemic, you know, being in New York and kind of being trapped in New York during that uh, really opened up my eyes to a lot of things. And for me, the root of it is that individuals have lost agency in their own lives, right? Like we've lost the ability to think critically. And like, I'm not saying that people should think x or y right that's actually the problem is saying people should think x or y um, rather than people should come to their own conclusions so i think i think that's the core that that's the root of the problem so the solution i believe is bitcoin right bitcoin changes the incentive structure it incentivizes us to think critically to think for ourselves it gives us sovereignty it gives us agency in our own lives um, and then simultaneous to having, you know, coming to these conclusions on uh, long walks in an abandoned city, then shortly after that, then El Salvador announced that they were making Bitcoin legal tender. So it just seemed like a great place and a great time to 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 put this into action, right? To to try to apply this theory to the real world that independent, impartial, community-led Bitcoin education could be a tool for empowerment at mass scale. So that's mm-hmm. that's our objective. And, and it's like, we really, we have very grand ambitions that this is, you know, we're, we're about Bitcoin education, but we're really about empowerment, right? We're really about um, changing how people view their relationship with themselves and with, with the power dynamics around them and, and that they could control their own future, right? You control your money, you control your power, you control your power, you control your present, you control your future. And if that happens, then you plan, you think ahead, you build. Uh, so 
yeah, there's, there's just, this is the right time, the right place. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'd say, you know, for our audience and one of the things that was a, a stumbling block for me, even getting into Bitcoin and, and finally seeing some of the things you're mentioning is, you know, the, the typical nature in the states of those that are thinking about money, thinking about wealth, thinking about stocks, whatever the case may be, are typically more conservative folks, more like in the states, more Republican, more people of means. They're like, okay, so for the left, a lot of these conversations for us that are involved in like social justice movements or nonprofits or, or different movements, you know, money's kind of this like icky thing for, for folks on the left. I've mentioned that on this pod before. It's just like, ah, we won't touch it. But then also it's like, how do you expect people to have agency? How do you expect your movements to get off the ground? Like it is a necessary evil for some folks like thinking about money. Then once you explore Bitcoin, it being, in my opinion, the best form of money and all of these host of other things, it is this, you mentioned just empowerment and agency is a huge thing. So getting away from get rich, like, yes, people will, uh, but also like empowerment and agency from what you're saying is the reason for what you're doing. Yeah. And, and I think, I think people confuse money with other things, right? Like the fiat mm. system has a broken incentive structure. So I sure. would say that money isn't bad. The incentive structure of the fiat money system is what's bad, right? And people conflate the two. Um, and Bitcoin yeah. is, is, is a totally different system. It's still money, but it's like, imagine we had good money, how, what the, mm. what the secondary effects to that would be. Yeah, without those broken incentive structure. That's right. Yeah. And Reina, for you, you know, being Salvadorian, coming into this, what what made you want to join with with John and others with me premier Bitcoin? Like what is it for you, whether it was the start of your own Bitcoin journey that you were hearing or seeing that made you want to be a part of what I would consider a movement, an empowerment movement, um, all of these things as well as this, you know, nonprofit. What made you want to want to join here? Yes, thank you. Uh, well, good question. I think it was more, so I, you know, like all, like everybody else, my own Bitcoin stories that started from my brother. He told me a little bit about, you know, this new technology, et cetera, et cetera, late 2020. Then we heard the rumors about the law in El Salvador and we were like, okay, maybe we should investigate a little bit more about this because it's something that's coming and it's going to be real. And we were really, really shocked. I was shocked that that was something that was in the plans for the government. Even when I mm. heard at the beginning, I saw it was something that maybe was not going to happen within the next, I don't know, two, three, four years. And it happened within months. So yeah. after that, I started, you know, watching a lot of YouTube and see what I could find. Somehow I also came across um, with a YouTuber with a larger audience that he was here and checking how this new law was. And I saw John and they, when they were starting to do meetups, which it was like five people, mm -hmm. probably we have like 200 people at our meetups now, but back mm -hmm. then it was like five people that heard about it. And I'm like, ah, maybe I should just see what it was, you know, like what the community here is going to become. And I met some of the team um, and they told me what it was. So um, they had free classes. I like, maybe I can learn something. At that point, I already knew based. I'm glad that I ran into Andreas Antonopoulos and all the crypto stuff when mm -hmm. I wanted to learn about uh, Bitcoin. So I joined volunteer. By then, they already have the first, you know, Bitcoin diploma class that what that happened here, middle of 2022. And then earlier last year, I went to graduations and, you know, volunteer really is just like dedicating your time. I'm mean, a little bit of, you know, like your own expenses to go and, and pay mm -hmm. for 
for the teachers, uh, sorry, for the students' thoughts and things like that. And I really liked it. Um, by that time, I, I was, you know, doing good in my job. I, I liked what I did. But I was feeling like there had to be something in this world that you can do and love at the same time. You know, like you make a living out of it, but then you also feel so mm-hmm. connected. And it was just one of these epiphanies that you have in life, right? Like I was already 30, so I was like, maybe let's just find something that is just not chasing the money. And that's when Nipime Bitcoin came along. Um, I had the opportunity to live in Guatemala for five years previous to 2020. So when uh, John, I think the people at Lago Bitcoin reached out to John to, they wanted a, a teacher from Nipime Bitcoin. For some reason, they wanted to be a female. And they asked me, would you like to go? So I was like, oh my God, yes, of course. Guatemala is like a second home. So I went and that definitely changed even more, you know, the perspective was having the students that knew zero. Because in El Salvador, probably I would say fairly more than 80% of the population didn't know about Bitcoin until the government brought it up. I was like, what is mm-hmm, this? Mm-hmm. A few yeah. people are already probably into the tech spaces and we'd had discussions, but other than that, nobody. So let alone going to Guatemala to these very Mayan communities in at the lake, Atitlan, mm-hmm. even less. What they knew it was the same, like, oh, is it that something in El Salvador? And because they like the president, what he's doing here, then that's why mm-hmm. they were a little bit open about it. So I was supposed to be there for 10 weeks and I ended up staying six months. So it was it was really good. It's, it, it was just inspiring for sure. Teaching kids, like children, you know, super young, like 10, 12 years old, seeing how they are open to learning new things they didn't see. I think the hardest part to teaching adults normally is just the prejudice that we have. And like John said, mm-hmm. all these incentives that we have already about money. So it's hard. And then the kids are like little sponges. If you talk them, you yeah. know, and you teach them about inflation and stuff, they really get it like quickly because they don't have all of this, I don't know, contamination already in their, in their little brains. So that's yeah. why I, after that was going to be just a project probably for me, you know, teaching for me through Bitcoin in Guatemala and still doing some of my own remote job. But then when I, I was already there, I, I, I was sure that I wanted to do something else. And then Adam, our operations manager, came in and, you know, started sort of rebuilding the organization to the operations levels. And I, I reached out to him also, like, you know, we, we exchanged emails. Like, you know, I went to, to see what else I can do when I go back to El Salvador and not just going um, back, you know, to the same and just, Mm-hmm. you know, helping with meetups and stuff. So that's why it made me stay longer. And little by little, I quit all the other jobs that I had. I had like, it was more of freelancing. So mm-hmm. one client went first and then the other one, and then I was gone. So I could dedicate all all the time and energy because this requires time and energy. I think a lot of people don't realize how, um, especially when conferences are coming up, we are messaging each other at any time of the day, any day, like 24 seven, basically. And especially if we're in definite time zones, but we love it. That's something that probably didn't realize, but my mom made a comment to me and she said like, but you don't complain that much now, you know, like we always normally complain about our jobs. So it's like, Mm -hmm. I see that you're working a lot, but you just don't, don't, I see that you don't complain a lot. And I'm like, no, I love it. I love it. If we want to do something good in this world, it's never super easy. Like, yeah. Who said it's going to be easy, right? So, so yeah. probably that to me was, and the fact that, like John said, El Salvador is going to be an example. Let's just better try to make the best example possible. I see so many people here in the oblivion still, you know, not knowing. And I know that a lot of people is not ready 
to certain conversations mm -hmm. that comes after you get into the rabbit hole. But at least yeah. for them to have some knowledge, at least to get one of percent. I mean, just buy five dollars in Bitcoin something. I know it's going to help you. Just know how to use it. So I'm glad. I'm so, so glad and honestly proud to be part of that. Like we think here, because I think that they trust it a little bit more when it comes to a Salvadorian, maybe. Like if we are local mm -hmm. teachers, they, they're like, okay, so if you got it, I guess I can get it, right? And we are very open. Like this is not an investment. This is not advice for you to get rich. This is just for you to learn. So that that's right. why <laughs> short, long story. That's why. Yeah, no, that's great. And I think um, you, you, I mean, you said several things in that that made me think more, but one of them was, I've heard this from a few, few Bitcoiners now. And again, I don't want to make Bitcoin sound like more of a, I don't know whether it's kind of a passion project, cult, right? These type of things. But the one thing Bitcoin does of those that get into it is you see the potential that it has in the world. Maybe you're seeing some real life practical solutions, but you also see the potential of the things that it can do in this world. And it gets you inspired if, if you're working on it or doing something in it. Even if you're working 24-7, you're not going to complain as much. Like it, It's really tapping into something that you're like, wow, this can radically improve and change our world or, or improve people's lives. And that's something that's very, very exciting. So not only is Bitcoin this new technology, money, all these things, but it gives folks a purpose like in their, in their work, like what they're working on. I've heard that from several very, you know, normie Bitcoiners that are on their way there or very prominent Bitcoiners. Like it, it gives people a reinvigorated sense of life and, and yeah. purpose again. And that's what I hear from, from you and, and you both. In yeah, this. yeah. Um, I think it's hope, right? Like yeah. hope that tomorrow will be better than today. Hope that we can do things not just differently, but better. And that yeah. that's such a huge motivator, right? Like yeah. if you don't have hope, then what's the point of anything? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So Raina, from just pulling on that thread more, you know, you were teaching young students and it's really funny to me, just as you're saying that there's so many things that people would understand in their real normal world, like pre-Bitcoin world, whatever of like, Yes, of course. If you're teaching and educating students, like as I was mentioning to you both, I'm in nonprofits as well. And one of the things that I, before my current role, I was running youth programs for like workforce development with inner city kids. So working with young kids about their career opportunities that are outside of like being super in debt in, in a traditional college track or actually on, on track to see what do you want to do? What, do, you know, and, and starting young versus trying to do that with someone who's much older to change the trajectory of their life or change how they think about things it is possible, but harder. So people will say, oh yeah, understood. Now applying, you know, Bitcoin principles to young people, I think there's a disconnect. People are like, so what do you mean teaching kids? So like, and I try to step outside of my Bitcoin rabbit hole world. Um, so for some folks, it might be like, what do you mean? Like coding, like teaching kids about like Bitcoin? What is that? What does that mean or look like? Can you just break down for people maybe a little bit of what that, what that looks like, you know, teaching young kids about Bitcoin? Yes, of course. So on Bitcoin Diploma, you know, the one that it's um, already in over 20 countries and regions to, yeah. to be in wow. tough, it basically is 50-50. Uh, you know, if you go through the book, the first five chapters, six chapters is history about money, you know, or monetary system, how it works, who controls it. And then we mm -hmm. get into Bitcoin, how does Bitcoin works, you know, the, the consensus and all of that. So when we start the way, and I know it's tricky, we try to do it also interactively with activities and, you know, to explain inflation, we do this little auction activity, which is more entertaining for them. Like if you do something that is not reading, then they are into it, like they, they put more mm -hmm. attention to it. So 
that's how we start. And I think, and it's amazing how now teenagers, because I feel like that wasn't a, you know, a worry that I had when I was a teenager that, you know, something like things were more expensive, but I can see on, you know, 15, 16 years old now, because they hear from their parents so often that everything is getting more expensive, that, you know, by the time they get older, they're not going to be able to afford a house, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so uh, say, for example, at the lake, the parents, uh, like the community itself is based a lot into, you know, the tourism. A lot of mm-hmm. them have um, stores, you know, for souvenirs and all of that. So tons of parents, that's what they do. Or they work at local banks. So mm-hmm. it was, it was, um, it was interesting how the kids get the story of, you know, how we went from Barton to now the money that we use and fiat. So mm-hmm. That's the first part for them to see, okay, you know, there is a reason because they were born already with smartphones, right? We didn't. Um, so they, they, they get, when we teach them about, you know, or I talked about, about the video cassettes that we used to go to Blockbuster, they don't even believe it because they, they were born with Netflix, but we go to the history past and they're like, oh, okay. Mm. Yeah, that makes sense. And they're at school. So they're like, okay, this is probably an extra class of history. And yeah. we do that little activity of, you know, trying to do Barton. And then after when we get into Bitcoin and we talked about consensus, of course, it's not coding and stuff, but try to explain how consensus, you know, environment and decentralized works. And like, mm-hmm. oh, okay. We explain how banks work, how the central bank works, what gives uh, money its value, if you want to call it that way. So they that's the, the basic, let's say, not even that basic um, concepts that they get, that we try to teach them. So at least it's taking them from zero, right? Eventually, mm-hmm. of course, at the end of it, we get into, yeah, when we explain, you know, like the hash and things like this, but broadly and, and trying to just not get too technical because we can see when they're getting lost. But yeah. um, not, not all the time. If you explain the basics of Bitcoin about what, what makes it, you know, a good money, then mm-hmm. they, they understand. They understand that it's right. They use a lot of just cards now, you know, that, that is a little, I mean, it's less here, I think, more in Europe, but uh, the mm. cashless culture is getting more and more and more. So they're used to just use digitals and transfers mm-hmm. and stuff from, from their parents. So that's mm-hmm. where we go with a Bitcoin diploma. And for them to think critically, what do you think this could mean, you know, for the future? If you not even focus on it about the price, but of course they ask about the price and then they see sure. like this 10, 15 year gap, what, what is made for the, for the Bitcoin. And especially for them to be able to transact, we send them sats, they send us back, they recover, uh, recover a wallet uh, in their phones and it's easy. So they're like, okay, so this is not super complicated. It's basically mm-hmm. to get them that step. So then I know that yeah. as they grow older, we know that they're going to keep, you know, ranting and going into more videos and reading another book and think also about their careers. One thing that happens, especially in rural areas in, I would say, Guatemala and El Salvador is probably the same. If you ask a kid what you want to do when you're older, they really have no clue. No, like mm. I think we had a little bit, or it was maybe just me, but you know, that thing that, okay, I wanted to be a doctor or I wanted to be an astronaut or I wanted to be sure. you no know, flight attendant, whatever. And they just think about what their parents are doing and if that's making the money and then like, okay, I guess I'm just going to take care of, you know, like the business, things like mm-hmm. that, like no dreams. 
And then when yeah. you, when I was teaching the kids already like 17, you know, like maybe this was going to be the last year of school. And we talked about all the possibilities that in Bitcoin, you don't have to be just a programmer. Um, I also told them a little bit of my story. I was just doing a regular. I didn't even finish university. I tried two different careers. It didn't work out. We all come from different stages in life that we have to give up one of the things and keep working. And they relate with that. And they're like, okay, so you do this now. I'm like, yeah, just keep learning, learning the language. And Bitcoin at the end is going to be basically another language. Eventually, a lot of people knows about it or mm. other people don't know about it. So that's for us to teach kids about Bitcoin. It's not, it's not really about putting them in front of, you know, and create a layer three thing. Like, it's just basically yeah. make them think critical what's what they can do in the future as well. What the future will look like if you decide to go, you know, this path or even if it's just saving in Bitcoin. You don't have mm -hmm. to even change a whole career and become a Bitcoin developer to have a better yeah. future, right? This episode of The Progressive Bitcoiner is brought to you by Zeus. Zeus is a self-custodial Bitcoin wallet for Android and iOS. The app features a built-in Lightning node that allows you to take full control of how you make payments on-chain and on Lightning. You can easily onboard to the Lightning network and let Zeus's Lightning service provider, Olympus, do all the heavy lifting for you. Or you can get more hands-on and curate your own Lightning channels with whoever you transact with most. Zeus has best-in-class privacy and allows you to have great peace of mind when sending and receiving Lightning payments. Not only does the Zeus team not want to know how you're using your money, but they're building things in a way that they can't know. There's also a first of its kind lightning address that will allow you to receive payments 24-7 to your mobile wallet self-custodially. This is a great solution for a range of people. For those who just want to have the technical ability to set up their own infrastructure, to nomads and dissidents that need to accept donations on the move. Other lightning wallets don't give the users this level of control. In fact, many of them operate more like bank accounts that can be revoked and ultimately lead to you losing your money. With Zeus, you're in full control of your private keys and therefore can start to take full control of your financial destiny. To learn more and to learn where to download, head to ZeusLN.com. John, I'll kick this over to you. Really, any of, most of these questions can be for either one of you. But, but John, when you think about the, the mission of Me Premier Bitcoin and all of these young people being educated, having this you know, maybe sense of hope, sense of agency, being able to, to choose, like you said, what they want to do with their Bitcoin, you know, going out and just having this piece of knowledge that so many people still and so many people even in the States don't don't have people in immense, immense positions of, of privilege, um, you know, with, with this goal in mind, like, what do you see? Where do you see me premier Bitcoin going or for these students five, 10 years out? Like, what what is your hope that their influence will carry like beyond just just Bitcoin? I guess it's a bit of a leading question. I, I think what I'm supposing is not just about Bitcoin education. It's about like empowering this next generation to go out and like do amazing things in their own lives and in, in the world. And how do you, how do you view that in relation to, to the mission of me premier Bitcoin? Yeah. So I think that's very aligned with the mission of me premier Bitcoin, right? Again, it's not actually about Bitcoin education. It's not actually about Bitcoin. It's about, mm. it's about the second and third order effects of what Bitcoin education brings us. Um, so individual students, I think, you know, Reyna was talking about this. Uh, too often people feel like they have to do something because that's just, that's just the way it is. That's what I'm familiar with. Um, so I think Bitcoin teaches people that it teaches a few things. It teaches people to uh 
have agency in their own lives, right? You could make your own decisions. You're, you're, you're in charge of your own future. Um, but it also breeds curiosity, right? Uh, mm. and that, and I think the combination of those two, to be curious about the world and to know that you define your place in it is such a powerful yeah. combination. And so what I hope happens with students, you know, 10 years after they become educated with Bitcoin is one that they remain Bitcoiners, right? I think Bitcoin is, is the sort of thing that it's kind of a one way, one way street, right? You, mm -hmm. people don't learn about Bitcoin and are like, yeah, but what about fiat? Like, should we just go yeah, back yeah. to that? Uh, no, what we have is pretty good. Uh, <laughs> no, no edits. No comments. Yeah. So one that they remain a Bitcoiner, uh, but also that they learn from Bitcoin itself to that there is so much more potential um, mm. than what is dictated to us for for yeah. the world generally, but for them specifically. And 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 again, back to hope, like that changes everything. If you have a mindset that you're not in control of your future, mm -hmm. I think it encourages us to be complacent and lazy and, and probably like depressed in some way, right? Mm -hmm. But if you have a mindset like, okay, there's a lot of possibilities, a lot of different things that I could do, then that that changes everything, right? That changes how how happy you are when you wake up every morning it changes whether you want to start a business or build a family or so many of those other things so i think i think bitcoin education is a gateway drug mm -hmm. yeah and one of the things too i'd like to to think about um I've had a few different guests and even with myself i i like to think a lot about I mean, and I think you both would be really great for this, this part of the conversation, because I feel like a lot of people that are in the Bitcoin space, I, and I get why, feel the need to really like protect Bitcoin, to really, you know, only talk about it as if it is a perfect system that's inevitable, that nothing can get in its way, nothing can slow any adoption, um, all these things. And in some ways, I do believe it's inevitable. I think it's kind of a spectrum of that. There's things I think that can help and hurt the timeline of, of these type of things. Um, so when thinking about, you know, you know, Bitcoin for you both, what are some of the, the challenges I, I think that you think in, in El Salvador, in the context of the work you're doing in terms of Bitcoin adoption? Um, you know, I think of Bitcoin as a two-way street as well. Like I think folks need Bitcoin, but I think sometimes Bitcoin needs other folks. They need stories of what you all are doing. They need Salvadorians to use it. They need people like people need to be using Bitcoin for it to be a successful project in my mind, regardless of how great the technology is, my, my personal opinion. Um, so how do, you, how do you hold that intention with the work you're doing? Like, what are some of the hurdles and how do you view El Salvador needing Bitcoin, but Bitcoin needing El Salvador? Does that, does that make sense? Yeah. Yes, it does. You want to, yeah. So, well, if you want, if we want to talk, I think at the beginning here, when we want to talk about Bitcoin to someone is that, and this is just my personal experience, they associate it a lot with, with the government, right? We, we had this class the other day, um, mm -hmm. uh, with, uh, one of our nodes to send, and we, we start talking about the Bitcoin myths of 
what all of it was for Bitcoin educators, right? Like this was not learning about Bitcoin itself, but how to teach it basically better, how to teach any mm-hmm. any topic at the end of the day. So in one of the, the, the myths that came, that one of the teachers said was even that Bitcoin was invented by Najib Bukele. So, so I was like, do you really hear that? And it's like, yes. Yeah. So that's how little we knew, right? Like nothing at yeah. all. So it goes both ways. If people really like the government, then they're going to be open about it. If they don't like it, then they don't. Then mm-hmm. I guess it goes with all ages. Um, I think it's just because of the economic situation of, um, you know, like the lower class or the people that is having a hard time, you know, less purchasing power and stuff. They tend to fall, sadly, in more scams. And mm-hmm. sometimes through either crypto or something, that's how they fall. So they are super against it. But mm-hmm. because it's, it's been a common thing here, if it's just one thing with bank accounts or sometimes it's another one, um, they change every few months. Honestly, it's just crazy here how, how that happens. Mm-hmm. And when they, as long as they open, then when they understand, they're like, ha, oh, okay. And then when we start talking, let's say about wallets and hold and you know, then they think it's too complicated. And they're like, no, 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 listen, like this is super friendly, like it has to be your phone. And that's why, and this is probably, you know, a tricky subject to some Bitcoiners, why, you know, custodians run custodials. It's a journey for everybody and it's a different stage for everybody. So if someone feels more safe, especially because it's not, um, they feel like they're not leaving their life savings in it. But if they want mm-hmm. to start with that, you know, non-custodial wallet, we are going to support them because as long as they do, you know, like just just take that step, download this wallet. Um, you know, it's easy to get Bitcoin. The one that we, of course, don't recommend to use a lot is is the Chivo wallet, but just because also the problems mm-hmm. that it gives, is, it's not even because it's the, the government, it's just because it really sucks. But like, sure. yeah. <laughs> it's just uh, <laughs> uh, you have so many. But at the end, when they... Um, see that oh, in what you know what i do with dollars because they think that they are not going to be able to pay anywhere if, mm-hmm. and we have this great DAO here um card data banks that you have a wallet but it's a mastercard so you can use it all of these new things coming here to el salvador which is why i'm so grateful that you know here in el salvador we're heading because in a way everybody's is, you know testing their products here but if they're good yeah. products we're going to use them right and and they work sometimes they're really good so people starting to see solutions instead of just problems problem, or making it too complicated. So mm-hmm. I think it's also, it has to be on us. Like we try everything we can so we can speak properly. No, you know, well, like it's this one. I've, you know, how many people I know that use this one is trusty. And that's the path we try to do, like learn from experience so that we can be sure what we can recommend to people so they don't have a bad experience. Um, mm. if they have a bad experience, you know, losing their keys or something, because I tried to make them a cold wallet from the beginning and they have no idea how it works, then that's, that's going to lead to a bad experience. So just take them step by step. And it's just basically meet everybody where they are. Not, not everybody. Mm. I mean, if I met, um, I don't know, someone has worked in computers for a long time, they're going to understand a few things more Yeah. other than, I don't know, my grandpa or something, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, before I kick it over to John, one thing you said that I think is so funny that it's a, an important thread to pull on is you just said in El Salvador, some people might trust Bitcoin more because they like the government or like that. So it's so funny. And it gets to the point of 
there's so many mistruths about Bitcoin. Because what you said, that's like, okay, they trust or like so-and-so, like a political, I mean, this can apply anywhere, a political candidate, a political party, in the case of El Salvador, like the government, because it was deemed legal tender, right? So whereas in, in the US, it's the complete opposite, right? Like the, the administration, the Biden administration, a lot of Democratic um, congressmen, a lot of Republicans as well, a lot of the government in general has has been pretty opposed to Bitcoin, Bitcoin adoption. And I think Bitcoin being used the way that most Bitcoiners would like it to, which don't have a lot of capital gains taxes get in the way of being able to send and spend Bitcoin. Like we want to be able to use Bitcoin as money, use it as a peer-to-peer -peer monetary system, which is what it was designed to do originally. Um, so it's funny, like there's two opposite views of, of Bitcoin or, or, you know, people in El Salvador, just I know this isn't like a, a black and white situation would say, okay, the government, you know, is approving. So I like Bitcoin, but in the US, the government doesn't like it. So I won't like it. And that has nothing to do with like what Bitcoin actually is. It's just people talking about Bitcoin. And that's, well, that's one of the reasons I'm so dedicated with this podcast or other things is because I know people get turned off from Bitcoin because someone they don't like is supporting Bitcoin or someone they do like said, don't support Bitcoin. Right. And I'm like, guys, can we just, there's so much noise. Like, let's look at what Bitcoin is and what it's, what it's doing. So I just thought that was really funny that you said that. And I hadn't heard the Bukele invented Bitcoin thing. That that was uh, like in the US, there's a lot of like, oh, the CIA invented it or the government invented it back in the 60s, right? Which, yeah. you know, maybe there's a 1% chance of that. Um, so anyway, John, I'll kick it over to you. It was, it was a super loaded question, but, you know, just your thoughts on on adoption and kind of the notion of like people needing to use Bitcoin, but also people needing Bitcoin. Right. So um, your question is, is how does Bitcoin need people or, or can you just restate the? Yeah, yeah. I, I'd say, you know, how does Bitcoin need people? Because a lot of Bitcoiners will say Bitcoin is inevitable, right? So how, how does Bitcoin need need people, like maybe in the context of El Salvador with what you all are doing? And how and why do people need Bitcoin? And then what are some some hurdles that that you all are facing with Bitcoin adoption? Right. So I think that you know, maybe maybe we'll disagree about this, but I do think that Bitcoin is inevitable. I don't think that it is inevitably good, though. Uh, mm. I think that a generation from now, the adoption of Bitcoin will be quite spectacular, quite wide. Um, I'm not sure how, though, right? That That's the part that... yeah that you know is why me premier bitcoin exists is to make sure that the how is is a good how um and the why is a good why uh because bitcoin's going to change the world and this is where bitcoin needs us bitcoin will change the world it's going to do that all on its own it needs us because we need to have our own input into it like the beauty of bitcoin mm. is that we do have a say we do have a voice we we can put our thumb on the scale of this. It could be molded, right? I don't think the greatest fear should be that Bitcoin doesn't succeed and succeed be an adoption. I think sure. the greatest fear is that Bitcoin is co-opted. Um, yeah. And that's why Bitcoin needs us and not Jamie Dimon, right? Because if there's mm -hmm. not people that are ensuring that Bitcoin realizes the potential of empowerment, the potential 
of people controlling their money, of people controlling their life, um, of just being a better money, right? Like forget all the philosophical stuff, just being a better money. That void will be filled by people who will subvert it and co-opt it, right? And Jamie Dimon's a yeah. nice, nice person to pick on, but it's actually, mm-hmm. I think the the enemy is pretty broad, right? It's it's mm-hmm. The enemy is anyone that wants to make Bitcoin into fiat 2.0. And that is a lot of people, right? That is that, that those people are probably laggards, right? They're not like early adopters, but they're starting Mm -hmm. to come in now, right? And that's the incentive structure that they want to introduce to Bitcoin to subvert it, to make it similar to the world that they come from is, is the real worry that I have. Yeah, I, I would share that worry. And I think that's reframing the question in an even better way. And I just had a, a recent guest. So I mean, at this point, it'll be a few weeks since that. But uh, Ahmad Gatnash, which he, he's the executive director of the Kawakabi Foundation, which focuses on human rights in the Middle East um, and promoting Bitcoin as a tool for people fleeing, you know, for political persecution. And one of the things he said, um, not verbatim, was, you know, basically we have so much focus now on like ETFs on Wall Street and fo- so much focus on, Bitcoin for large financial institutions that his worry is that we're losing the focus of what Bitcoin is really here to do. So yeah, like, like you said, I, I am equally concerned about that in terms of what does adoption look like? Like I, I, I guess in that sense, I would view Bitcoin as in, inevitable. Like it's here. Some people feel that because these institutions are here, it's a bit safer now. Like in terms of like, would they do an all out ban? in my opinion, maybe not at this point, but would they do, can they still do things that would say, okay, you can't make private transactions. You can't hold unhosted wallets. Like, you know, you have to custody, you know, it has to be a centralized custody or you have to only hold in the ETF. Those are things that could really butcher what Bitcoin is as kind of freedom savings, freedom tool, things like that, or things that I don't know what scale to be worried about, but I'm not crazy about it. The things I'm hearing, yeah, and and I think education is the front line of that fight, right? Because it yeah. is this is base Bitcoin education, which is what we're doing. We're not we're not teaching people to be Bitcoin core developers. We're we're just getting mm-hmm. people off from zero. Um, yeah, and that intro, that first step into the world of Bitcoin, is the one where people are the most vulnerable mm-hmm. to just you know being told what to think and what to do. Uh, yeah. So that that is, you know, I think Bitcoin education is our best is our best defense and our best offense against that, right? To yeah. to prevent co option, and that's why, you know, I'm happy for all Bitcoin education, but that's why we're so fiercely independent and impartial, because they're mm-hmm. they're not even not all Bitcoin education is good, right? There's a sure. brand of Bitcoin education that could be like, you know what? this part of Bitcoin is something you should never do. This part of Bitcoin, you only do it this way. And then it's the same Mm -hmm. thing. It's dictating to students what is right and wrong when the real revolution is letting people think for themselves. Yeah. Uh, Reina, over over to you, because one thing I'm trying to do, especially for like our US listeners is, you know, that is something that I view as a, a privilege and something to to fight for, um, especially unfortunately, I'd say from from the left in the U.S. The past several years, it's been a little bit looked down upon to 
do things in private ways or freedom of speech has been what I consider co-opted by other people. And some people on the, on the left in my political part, not my political party, but you know, friend groups or this and that, it's kind of hard to talk about why, why privacy is important, why holding Bitcoin is important, why freedom of speech is important. And, and just everything gets so political here uh, in so many contexts, but especially there's always, you say something and it's like, okay, well, what political ideology am I supposed to come at that from? Like, what is the talking point for this? And what is the talking point for, for that group? You know, coming from a Salvadorian background and, and for, for students, for you, you know, what is the importance of teaching these, these principles? Um, what is the importance for, for young people to know about that? And maybe I know every student's going to have their own individual journey, but for you, what are some of the assumptions that people are coming in with that, that you're combating kind of teaching students and helping them unlearn? Because what folks are unlearning in the U.S., there might be some similarities, but there's also going to be that Salvadorian context. So what are some folks unlearning in the classroom besides just this, what Bitcoin is, wallets and sats? Uh, what's that unlearning process like for, for students? Well, I think it's an unlearning even, even every time we teach a class, there is something new that we unlearn with, with the students about, mm. you know, and I'm talking about around when we want to talk about money, there has been this big taboo over time, you know, like we don't even share with our family members or friends how much mm. we make because, I don't know, there is this thing. So then when we come to the class and then try to teach about money, people is like, what? It's like if you're talking about something that we shouldn't talk, you know, like when it's mm. the sayings, like a family dinners, which you shouldn't talk about politics or money. And so it's something mm. that is super, super engraved in, in, in the brains because we hear it from our parents, we hear it from their parents. So then um, I will say, and this is probably like middle age already, not, not, not super young, but like 15, 16 and adults. Mm. Um, it, it comes to uh, why do we have to talk about this? You know, like why, why, why is, is it important? And they feel like they are stepping into their privacy. And then also because we definitely, sadly, we do believe that banks are here to save us, right? Like, it's like, yeah, no, just save your money in the bank and then you're going to mm -hmm. be fine. And we're not, uh, we don't have big histories here of, you know, banks and, you know, like running out of money or anything. There are a few stories in Guatemala already where, where they closed down and so big mm -hmm. uh, economic crisis happened. So I will say with, with the students here, the, the part that is, is tricky is having a more critical thought about what we can discuss and not discuss to begin with. Mm -hmm. Like, why should we and shouldn't we talk about subjects that are so important for our lives and, and you know, and the society in, in general? and come to the conclusion and, you know, having these discussions, like, you know, questions about what is money, what it isn't, why do you think it's important? Do you think it's going to be here for the long term? And see if all the, you know, ideas and, and things that we exchange during these discussions, that's how we start a class normally, not like here, watch, you know, this, this board and we're going to talk about this is mm -hmm. if probably, you know, it would be even better to have this collaboration of what have helped you, what have helped me even at our own level to do our own financial, you know, like charts or something like trying to make the um, better out of the time and energy that we spent trying to earn a living and trying to earn money. Everybody mm -hmm. understands, especially the younger now that we feel like we need three jobs to, to have a decent life, you know, not even to survive, like survive, it's fine, but like to, 
to spend or, or you have this, you know, money to express whatever we want and to buy whatever we want. And I don't know, like, you know, our own desires and dreams, travel, whatever. And having these ideas sometimes it helps for them to, hey, like this is something that we can discuss and maybe with a collaborative mindset for everybody, we're going to find better ways to 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 communicate. And one of the things I really want to do more is for, you know, younger people to have the tools that we didn't have. We didn't have really, we didn't have a clue how banks actually work, you know, what a central bank was, you know, fiat system, what was it, or even history of money. Yeah, we had an idea mm -hmm. that back in the days, you know, our ancestors here in, in Latin used cacao for exchange. That's all we knew. But mm -hmm. um, uh, there are certain points in life that you really feel a little bit hopeless in a way, you know, like making this, but next year, this is not going to be enough. And it seems that I've reached the level that I can make in this company for salary. So how am mm -hmm. I going to achieve certain dream? So for them to have, um, you know, an ideal or at least like just said, I think that's what it comes down to hope. Mm -hmm. I think your perspective changes and also your incentive to do well, to not be lazy. And that's, that's more uh, in a personal way, you know, my motivation for everybody. And then, because yeah, we invest, you know, in the kids, yes, because they are the future, but we are adults and we still can make a switch in life. And yeah, of course, maybe you cannot switch your whole career out of it. I mean, worked in a, I don't know, in a company for 20, 25 years, but when you learn something new and start to, you know, store your money, you know, and a money that doesn't lose purchasing value, it also mm -hmm. gives you a little bit of, you know, like a breather. You don't feel like yeah. your retirement is not going to be enough and you don't have to break the bank to save in Bitcoin, for example, right? You just need to be a little bit more conscious. We live in a system that is is definitely, you know, we think that these big dreams and stuff are just for other people, for privileged mm -hmm. people. So why wouldn't have a, we wouldn't have a little bit of, you know, hope, that hope. And also that it's not just consumerism. I think that's what happens also with the incentives, with the fiat money. We just, we know mm. that, you know, the dollar I have today is not going to be worth the same tomorrow to buy. So I better just spend it today. Just better spend it now instead of waiting um, to save and buy, you know, buy a bike or something. So, so that I will say is, is, is what it comes here, like in, in my personal experience in El Salvador to little by little us have the critical thinking and open mindset that not mm. all conversations are being told that we shouldn't have should remain that way. We can have these difficult conversations to confront ourselves. And in this case, the system, right? That we live in, yeah. that we have to believe in, collaborate. Hi everyone, hope you're enjoying the episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Bitbox. Now Bitbox is a hardware wallet that's open source, incredibly secure and easy to use, and it's what I'm using to safely secure my Bitcoin in cold storage. Now I know self-custodying Bitcoin can really be intimidating, but Bitbox is designed for ease of use without compromising on security. It's USB-C compatible and allows you to easily back up and restore your private keys with a micro SD card, which is really cool. Now you can purchase the Bitbox using the promo code TPB at the link found in the show notes for 5% off your purchase. And I really want to thank Bitbox for their support of the podcast. And I'm really excited about this new partnership. All right, I'll let you get back to the episode now. Uh, maybe some of our listeners, I think a lot of our listeners have heard different, you know, human rights stories and what Bitcoin is doing around the world. But for some listeners, and you know, what's unfortunate, I think this is so much of 
what the U.S. hears in terms of news from the global south, news from El Salvador. Like it's a lot of oftentimes from Latin America can be what we in the U.S. here are like bad stories, right? Just about like, okay, gangs, about an opinion about this political leader, about, oh, people aren't able to pay for their food or this and that. We get a lot of negative stories in the U.S. about places like El Salvador and about El Salvador specifically. So for you, what are some things that you've seen happening in your students' lives or happening, you know, in El Salvador, um, kind of alongside Bitcoin or just the past few years that are some positive things to say about your students' experiences, experiences they've had with Bitcoin. And especially for those saying, maybe our listeners or some other folks saying, okay, well, let's say a family doesn't have that much money. What are they going to do with Bitcoin? Like, they, how are they going to save? Like, what, how are they going to get food? Like, what is the point of talking about Bitcoin if, you know, they're dealing with all these other things that we, you know, this negative news cycle that people uh, hear in the U.S. about places like El Salvador, unfortunately, because of our, our legacy media. Um, systems, which I'm sure John knows all about, you can talk about as well. Um, so for you, what are what are some of those positive stories? And you know, why why Bitcoin for for your students? It's funny how a lot of the, the the stories that I can, you know, that come to my mind are not even about money, are more about purpose. We we mm. found, you know, I'm I'm probably not making a ton of more money than what I was doing before. I'm just living a life I think that is more fulfilled. We have mm. one of the teachers, um, Jorge Luis, which is probably one of our favorite stories. He was, um, he's like a minister on the east part of the country. He went to one of the, you know, free open enrollments to to learn about Bitcoin, just to have more stuff to talk about against it, because he was so against Bitcoin, he wanted to know more about, yeah. so he could have more arguments, right? And he mm. turned out to be one of our most passionate teachers nowadays. He, mm. he you know, he's. And I think he's because also that's why I believe in that I joined the Premier Bitcoin, because when you teach impartially and independently, then you are not dictating what people should believe. I mean, I think sometimes Bitcoin does feel like a religion because you want everybody to see, but not 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 from bad ways, you know, not from these extreme calls that if you don't believe in this, it's, it's, it's not going to do you any good. I'm, I'm sure that there is a lot of other students that learned about it. They have it in their minds now and probably are not going to do much with that information. We cannot change that. But mm -hmm. with younger ones, I think it's definitely the path of seeing more opportunities. And I see more opportunity. I say more opportunities because of what's going on in El Salvador, which is, is a good spot to be, right? Like you don't have to move to the U.S. or go illegally to see if in the future you're going to have a good job, especially in the rural mm -hmm. areas. And, you know, especially now with all these projects about mining and stuff, they can work in their local areas. Um, and if they want to either become teachers as well, you know, with us, there is some, there's so much potential in the future with all organizations and companies coming if they want to dedicate, you know, or, or work in Bitcoin. And then as adults i think it's also the same if you don't feel like you want to if if you are going to change your life or turn around your life completely maybe your kids or i mean i don't have kids and i still think about you know the, the kids of the future i think about jr my favorite bitcoiner lately is john's kid is uh mm. how old is he six months yeah, and months. six months so um, I, I, he's already using hot wallets and, exactly. and, and all that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I know exactly. <laughs> Best student. Yeah. That student, that student as the ones I were thinking, I think there is no greater good. And I see it on all our teachers, parents or not, 
to think that we're living a that we are living behind, you know, like we are living contributing to live a better world after mm-hmm. us, even if we become yeah. parents at some point or not. So that part, if when you get into that mindset as a society, we're all kinder, we're all more hopeful. So I think that's something that I'm proud that even on our hardest days with guns and everything, Salvadorians were always kind. You know, like I would see tourists and stuff. They're like, oh, everybody here is so nice. And I'm like, yes, we try to, uh, you know, mm-hmm. like in a way. And now I can see with so many expats coming here because of Bitcoin or not, but mostly because of Bitcoin, I see how we don't experience what other people from other countries experience in the West with racism mm-hmm. or anything. That's something that wasn't on our brain. So we're building a, a, you know, a better example for society as well. So these kids that are growing up are going to see that. And it's, it's not everything just about Bitcoin. It's what it brings to your life as, as a way of, of living and hope for the future, whether that's making a fortune on Bitcoin or not, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. John, you mentioned, you know, coming from New York, coming, moving to El Salvador post-COVID, what are some things that El Salvador and Salvadorians have taught you about living, um, about approaching things in a different way? There's probably a lot of similarities, but a lot of differences as well, as, as Raina's saying. You know, what are some things that you've been learning since being El, uh, in El Salvador and, and starting this whole mission? Yeah, so I think... I think there's like a different value system, um, what people value here. And in New York, it's, it's such a rat race, right? It's like, mm-hmm. it feels very competitive. Uh, you're competing with the person next to you on the subway, right? And you're both competing for something that you don't even really want. Um, mm-hmm. But here in El Salvador, then the pace of life is more relaxed. And people prioritize different things. Um, you know, there's still lots of people here working jobs that they don't like just to, mm-hmm. you know, make, make ends meet. But it feels different than the U.S. People do that all the time in New York. Like, there's no level that you reach where you stop doing that it, for, for most people. Uh, mm-hmm. Whereas in El Salvador, there's plenty of people that do that because it's more a necessity, but then once they get to a certain level, then they could maybe spend more time with family, with their children, and, and just kind of slow things down a little bit. Um, it feels less competitive here, uh, and it feels, yeah, just a more relaxed view on 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 life, really. Mm. And what are you know, you mentioned, you you both have mentioned it here, and I know we were talking a bit before the recording, so I'll let you take it where you'd, you'd like, but you mentioned being, you know, impartial, being independent, um, teaching critical thinking, letting students presenting, you know, teaching information, and they do with that what they will, right? Each each student's going to have their own journey with these things. So, so John, for you, with me, Premier Bitcoin, why is that, why is that so important, that value set of, of being independent, um, focusing on your, your core principles, um, not being captured in different ways uh, on different things. Can you touch a little bit on why that's so important for me, Premier Bitcoin? Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I'll probably restate a couple of things that I already said here, but uh, the real revolution of Bitcoin 
is that it allows us to think for ourselves, which is the problem of the world that we're coming from, that we're not allowed to think for ourselves. And if we're not allowed to think for ourselves, we're disincentivized to study, to learn. We're less curious about the world. We don't want to build. Mm. So it's so important that we take advantage of this opportunity to break from that. Mm -hmm. And if we dictate to students, if we tell students, Bitcoin is good, just take my word for it. This is the best way to use it. Just take my word for it. Like, don't think for yourself. Like, I know what's best for you. It's Bitcoin. I know what's best for you. It's using Bitcoin in this particular way. Just listen to me. That, that's the problem. Like, I, a lot of times in the, in the fiat world, what they tell you is best actually isn't best for you. But that's, that's kind of a separate issue. I think the actual root of it is that someone is telling you what to think. Um, and there's a danger that that could happen with Bitcoin. And that's, that's true. There, there's co-option within the Bitcoin space, right? Like there are interests within the Bitcoin space that just want to remake a fiat world with a different order of who's at the top, mm -hmm. right? Um, there are people even who work in the Bitcoin space who are incentivized to dictate to you what to think. And that is, you know, again, co-option is the real enemy, not failure. I don't think failure is, 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 is the threat. I think co-option is the threat. So that's why yeah. independence and impartial is so important. And then community led is really important. Like Raina talks about this before, like that local context, right? Mm -hmm. So we have a pretty mixed staff between Salvadorian and international, but the teachers are Salvadorian, right? Like mm -hmm. they're teaching their own communities because they understand that context better than anyone else. Um, yeah. But yeah, the independent and partial part is so important because this is, I think, a one-time chance that we have as a civilization to to divert from that path of the few control the many uh, mm -hmm. and we need to we need to seize that opportunity and we are not seizing that opportunity if we're replicating those same mistakes in the bitcoin space yeah what are i know you mentioned okay don't you know try to tell people what bitcoin should be used for but you did mention you know, worried about Bitcoin being co-opted or certain messaging or certain ways to use it for both of you. Um, not that you have to have the same answer, not that any three of us have to have the same exact answer. You know, what, I want to choose my words carefully and people don't read into the words too much, okay? Like core principles of Bitcoin, like what are the things that you would want to get across as Bitcoin is blank, right? Not, not ways to use Bitcoin, but you know, why, why, is, why is Bitcoin here? Why is it important? Why is it important that whatever message you would say should not be co-opted into some other, some other purpose, right? Or controlled, some narrative be controlled by, by Wall Street or by a banker or by a politician or whatever the case may be. For, for both of you, I'm curious your answers on, you know, why Bitcoin, what, is, what are kind of the core tenets of why Bitcoin is really important? Yeah. And it's a loaded question. We could do a whole another episode on it, but I'm yeah. very curious both of your responses. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You're um, super thoughtful on this. Yeah. True. And you're right. Uh, it's hard 
oh, I mean, it, we're not saying that it's the easiest thing to be impartial and independent, especially when you come with your own experience, either with the financial system or, or life or careers. But to me here, I think, you know, in production, this in a country, you can see how when the education, it's, it's you know, it's, the importance of education is more for, for the government. And I think you see that the better, or I don't know if it's better, but more production uh, within the country and or school system, it's not always been the best, but I think it's all also because no, we don't get that. We get, if we had any curiosity as kids, it was killed. Like, you know, they killed it. So mm-hmm. for me, why Bitcoin is because you learned about Bitcoin and then, okay, how do you, I can buy it, how we can transfer it, how we can save it. And little by little, you are going to the history of money and our current financial system. And then who created the Fed and it, it, it's, that's why we call it, right? The whole rabbit hole. So to mm-hmm. remain curious, to remain to, you want to learn something new every day that you didn't know before at any age that gives you more mm-hmm. opportunities that gives you more, um, you know, that you want to build. I'm like, okay, I already learned about this new language now, so I can use it for this and this. And I mm-hmm. think so far we were sort of, I don't know, like maybe condemned to just settle like, okay, you are in Los Salvador, this is your language. And I'm just, you know, go through high school. You don't have enough for university. Okay. Bad for you. Here's, mm-hmm. you know, a job that you can get at, at any, I don't know, fast food restaurant. So I've seen it in everyone that I interact with. And I'm not even that vocal sometimes. It depends of, I, I feel the vibe and I'm not going to go talk about Bitcoin to every single Uber driver that I, 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 I run mm-hmm. into it. But especially when I'm around, you know, like John, you know, he's clearly 40 years in El Salvador and local people, they see you with others and they see me as a Salvadorian and they're like, hey, you know, like, what do you do? Like, what is, what is this? So it's a Bitcoin. And then we, you know, send them to the social media. But it's really nice to eventually see them at a meetup. And that to me is is the important here, at least for me to be going to, to making, wanted to make a step, to take a step. You make another step into your life and not just be, probably hate what you do, but just stay there for the sake of staying. I don't know if John has a different answer, but that's mine. <laughs> no, yeah, I, that's I great. agree with that. Um, but but also, and I'll, I'll try to uh, condense my, my answer into a few words. Bitcoin allows us to define our own destiny. Yeah, you both coming at this from education, I think, is a really, I mean, what I'm hoping is that some uh, something like this episode, really, it flips the narrative of Bitcoin on its head for a lot of people coming from the West, right? Of like Bitcoin outside of the context from what they hear about in the US from politicians or from those that are just gambling or from Wall Street or whatever. You're talking about educating Salvadorians and having people believe in themselves more and find hope uh, and actually find purpose in their life. People are like, what? wait, what? I didn't know that was what, yeah, well, that's, that's why a lot of us who are Bitcoiners remain and stay and are kind of a bit addicted to, to <laughs> yeah. seeing this thing move forward. If we were just addicted to making money, quite honestly, you could get really, really good at trading crypto assets for a short amount of time and make more money than you could in, in Bitcoin over that same period of time, right? That's not why most of us are, are here. We are hopeful that we'll have enough purchasing power to kind of live our own lives. But 
almost every Bitcoiner I've ever talked to, I don't hear too many that are really caught on the mission saying, I want to get as tremendously wealthy as possible. And that is the only reason I'm here. Like, no, you, you won't hear that from, from many Bitcoiners and certainly not me with a nonprofit background and you all working in a nonprofit. That's not, not the focus. Um, so hearing that, I hope people will really retain that, you know, being about curiosity, about never stop learning uh, and, and unlearning um, a bunch of these things. Yeah, that's great. Now, in the last few minutes here, I want to, to make sure to talk more about Me Premier Bitcoin, uh, specifically like what you all are focusing on for this year coming up. Um, I mean, you all are super active on social media, on your website, on all of these things. I'll be sure to have that in the show notes for people to just learn more, like dig in. This is just an intro episode. We'll be sure to do more episodes with the folks over at Me Premier Bitcoin uh, to get into some more nuanced conversations. But, you know, encourage folks to look more into Me Premier Bitcoin. There's a lot of content that we're not able to focus on in this short conversation. But, you know, over this next year, the next uh, few months this year, what are some things that you all have coming up that you want people to, to learn more about and to know about? Do you want to do you wanna you cover domestic and I'll do international? Yeah, go. Okay. Yeah. Oh, I'll go first. Okay. Go. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, Raina will cover the domestic part. I'll cover the international part. So. We have, a, we have a vision document, Three Simple Steps to Change the World. The first one is here in El Salvador. It's, the second one is making the example of El Salvador easy to, to replicate. Uh, so that's what I'll talk about, the international part. We started last March, so less than a year ago, um, a node network, right? So we're always trying to learn from Bitcoin. Bitcoin is our teacher. And we thought, like, how can we grow and expand internationally and remain decentralized. And that's something that Bitcoin was able to do. So we, we tried to learn from that. We borrow some language, including nodes. Uh, so in March of last year, we started a node network for independent Bitcoin educators. So everything that we produce is open source. And mm -hmm. when I say that, I don't just mean the Bitcoin diploma. I don't just mean courses. I mean, just best practices like how to fundraise, how to organize meetups, mm. like how to hire, all those things we want to share with people. Uh, so we are creating, we are ever improving and, and expanding on what is a, effectively like a, a toolkit to get started wherever you are in your own community mm. um, to do something similar. And we work with projects in, we work with 28 nodes in 22 countries now. And that is the network is now, you know, we, we, we launched it. We were the Genesis node. Uh, but over time, we have made an effort to kind of give that away, uh, give, give that authority and power away. So at this point, the, the network is self-governing. So it decides whether to accept new nodes or not. Um, right now, there's, uh, there's three applicants under consideration. And we're probably going to reject two of them, two of the three, uh, because there's very high standards, right? Like they're really proud mm. of the work that they do. Um, we just gave away our first grant an anonymous donor, uh, gave us a thousand dollars and asked us to distribute it to the node network. They, they loved what they saw there. So the node network itself decided to give that to based on proof of work, uh, give it to the node that operates in Cuba. So we were able to send yeah, that's right. Bit, Bitcoin to, to Cuba, which is like such a wonderful thing because 
that's why Bitcoin is important, right? Because it's actually mm -hmm. hard to support community projects in Cuba because of all these financial sanctions. Uh, and it's not, you know, like, I don't care what your opinion is on the reason why the sanctions are there, whether they're good or not. But the reality is it makes it hard to support community projects like this one, right? Yeah. And Bitcoin fixes that, right? And like, mm -hmm. so it was it was great. They, they do great proof of work, but it was such a great representation of like why we're in this too. Um, yeah. So we're really excited this year. We're going to continue to build that out. This is, this, is a, this is new for us. So there's a steep learning curve. Uh, we'll continue to, the network will continue to be decentralized. Um, there's a lot of lessons that we're learning every day. So we'll continue to grow. And with time, the network will become more multi-directional. So again, we, we were the first node, uh, but with time we want to, we want it, the communication to be very much multi-directional and us to not really be involved, right? If the node in Kenya mm -hmm. and the node in Cuba are doing something similar, then they, they share best practices with, with each other. They don't need to go through us. Um, yeah. So really looking forward to that. And one way that we want to do that is to manifest it physically. So we have, we have a Twitter spaces the last Friday of every month where the node network, like different nodes come on and they just kind of share progress about what's happening in their community, what they've been up to. Mm. Um, but we want to get people together physically as well. So we're going to do that by hosting Bitcoin education on conferences. The next one will be at the end of this month, February 29th in Madeira, Portugal. So that's the day before Bitcoin Atlantis. And the idea of that is it's a bit different from a typical conference. There will be part of it will be pre-programmed. There'll be speakers that we'll know about ahead of time. Part of it will be decided the day of by whoever is there, like whatever topics they want to discuss, we'll give them a space and like, okay, we're going to talk about Bitcoin education and circular economies at 3 p.m. in this room, right? But that's decided at the start of the day by, by whoever shows up, basically. Uh, which again, we're always trying to learn from Bitcoin and Bitcoin doesn't dictate, like it lets people interpret it for themselves. So we're always trying to manifest that. Uh, so that's really looking forward to the on-conferences. We'll have it before Nashville, uh, the, the, the conference in July there. Those are the two that are on the schedule. And they both work together well because then the nodes that like talk to each other on Telegram, they actually get to meet in person then communicate. Mm -hmm. And it's not just for them. That's It's great for that network, but it's good for anyone interested in independent Bitcoin education. I would wholeheartedly recommend that they come to one of these on conferences or, or join the join the node network if they're interested in that. On the meetfromrebitcoin.io, there's a tab that... Um, you know, explains the node network a little bit more in the, the process to apply to be a part of it. Yeah, very cool. So yeah, not a lot going on on the international front, <laughs> clearly. <laughs> Just kidding. Uh, so much awesome stuff going on. How about domestically, Reina? Yeah, so the, um, last year we started a pilot program with the Ministry of Education in El Salvador, where we taught, mm. uh, at the end, I believe it was 156 teachers out of them, I mean, we, we taught them, right? And out of them, I remember that they were really clear that only, I think around 117 actually applied them in their classes. 
one really yeah. thing, uh, you know, great thing that happened. But that's a great statistic. I'm I sorry know. to interrupt yeah. you. That's like, because <laughs> I've, I've done teach the teacher models before, uh, which are, I think are fantastic. Um, that's outstanding. Congrats. Oh, j- just wait. What's next? Yeah. It was, it was, and it was, it was a lot. It was a good one. We, one of the things that we loved is that we really empowered these teachers. It was not the education is the fact that for some reason, you know, the, the material that the minister had to print to teach them, which is basically based on our Bitcoin diploma. They have their own material, mm-hmm. but ours was used as a base, wasn't ready to print. But the teachers found their own ways to start implementing it right after they finished the training. It was three days of intensive training that they got from educators. This is an, um, you know, joint uh, project with uh, Bitcoin Beach as well. So it's Bitcoin mm-hmm. and Bitcoin Beach. So we have our teachers and the teachers going to to give these trainings to the educators. This year, they, they really loved it. It was in three different departments. So El Salvador has 14 departments, which are basically states, right? And it was a pilot program in three. They were really happy about it. We had a meeting earlier this year where we said we're ready to go to the remaining 11th. Just this year, we're scheduling that we're going to have about 700 teachers that are going to go. Well, okay, into, I get what you're saying, John. Yeah, <laughs> to their schools. And we, wow. were, like, yeah. we were so, so excited about it. They give us even the number of the students. I forgot now how many students you know, they have in their own schools. On top mm-hmm. of that, uh, the public school system has this, like, school um, young presidentes or something like presidential, for so they are like in their last high school. Um, but these are, you know, the students that sort of you see their potential, right? So they become representative mm-hmm. of schools, and then normally they have opportunities to work either within the same ministry or not. They wanted to also receive another training, and there is this group also from that's called pedagogicos, how would that be in, in, Spanish, in English? Yeah. But they are basically the trainings to the, you know, methodologies part of the teachers and they mm-hmm. wanted to get the training as well. So they, they, are, they are not teachers from schools that basically the, the, the ones that, you know, the minister has, the government has to keep the teachers up to date with new methodologies and, and they also wanted to have it. Another thing that they didn't confirm, but they said that they want us they, they they clearly stated we don't see this you know a conjoint effort in like ending in any time within the next five years, which we were really really surprised. And I believe it's because they are working on including Bitcoin basically as a subject into the schools already. You know, like math and language and, yeah. and history. So that was huge for us. Like just thinking that in our schools, you know, we're going to have the very first probably subject just based on Bitcoin throughout the whole year. It's going to be massive for, for the students coming up in, in the probably couple of years. It's not going to be even that far. I will say next year, yeah. 2025. Yeah, I think that's so underappreciated. I, I think most people don't aren't aware of it, but the El Salvador is on a path to have Bitcoin education in every school in the country in the next, not this year, right? Like the pilot, we're in the pilot phase, Mm -hmm. Um, but it will be in every department in this country. uh, About um, 50 teachers from each department will will be trained on it. And then the pilot will expand. So I don't know if it's the following year that, that the idea is to go to every school in the country, but like 
it's on that path, right? Like you could see the light at the end of the tunnel, which is mm-hmm. amazing. That was one of the one of the dreams at the very genesis of Mirror Bitcoin is to teach a nation, right? And like we yeah. have so much more work to do. And this we're just talking mm-hmm. about public school students, so that's that's not the whole country, but but um. I'm just really impressed with with the progress there. Uh, that there there is a path for that. There's a viable path for that to happen. Yeah, that is absolutely incredible and and such fantastic updates. Um, congrats to you both. Congrats to the whole whole team and just everything going on. You know, if there's anything that that we can do, you know, please do. We'll, we'll keep in touch. Um, any way that we can amplify these messages, uh, continue doing that. You know, for those uh, listening, what is the best way? For folks uh, maybe outside of El Salvador to to support um, me, Premier Bitcoin. What are what are some of the best ways? Just to say they're listening to it. Maybe they have some sats or dollars to donate. Maybe they have a particular skill set. You know, whatever, whatever. Want to volunteer? What are what are some of the best ways for folks to get in touch and to to help? Yeah, so I think to get in touch, like on social media, um, probably for the international audience, Twitter. Since it's just my first Bitcoin underscore. Uh, and yeah, we're always looking for for great people. We have a big mission, so lots of skill sets needed. Um, so yeah, just reach out, uh, DM us on on Twitter if you can contribute your labor. If you can contribute your your sats, then also the same website you could donate there. Uh, also on Geyser, we have a we have an active campaign there, um, and that's actually where a good chunk of our funding comes from is just from small individual donations. So yeah, that that's that's super helpful. And if you can make it to El Salvador, then then uh, come say hi. Reina and I right now are actually in a house that the project rents that is a it's a literal house and there are people that live here from the team. Um, but it's also a school and an office. It's kind of like an all purpose building where we have classes and, and stop by the house, say hi. Awesome. Thank you both so much. This is such a fun conversation. Um, is there anything, gosh, I mean, there's a ton of stuff we didn't talk about that we'll have to do this again to, to talk about, but any anything else you wanted to convey to the audience uh, at all, those listening? What else? Maybe, well, the closest that we have right now, I don't know how many people is going to Bitcoin Atlantis in Madeira. You, mm-hmm. you talk about it. Yeah, just join us. This is especially because I believe that you said this this episode is gonna be so maybe we're gonna be already over there, but yeah, join us. You know, sometimes even just retweeting and reposting, a, a, a you know a tweet helps. Yeah. Like you just have and just amplify the message that helps. If you don't have sad so time, just retweeting and helping with that. It, it it it's very valuable for us. We we appreciate everybody's help. We appreciate everybody's. Um, you know, reaching out and like a like and things like that because we, it makes us feel like, of course, we know we're not alone. But mm-hmm. when we see those mm-hmm. those big numbers, I'm like, oh yeah, people is is really excited about this, even if you don't have the chance right now to go and attend in person. But I mean, maybe take some little vacations and, and go to beautiful Madeira yeah. too. <laughs> Absolutely. 
Well, thank you again, both both so much for for presenting this message and, and your cause and everything you're doing in in El Salvador. And we're super excited to to follow up and and see the progress. I know great great things have already happened, and I'm sure it's just the beginning. Like I can truly feel that for you both and for me from your point. So thank you so much for coming on. No, thank you. Yeah. Thank you so much for having us.